In this house, we believe. In this house, we believe that love is love. Whether it's love between a husband and wife who've committed their lives to one another and are willing to sacrifice for each other's happiness and for the happiness of the children they create together, or whether it's two guys dressed in rubber suits, grinding lit cigarettes into each other's backsides and then exposing their genitals to children to declare how proud they are before drugging themselves into insensibility and passing out in a pool of their own vomit. Because in this house, we believe love is love, whether you love your family or vomit. In this house, we believe that science is real. So if a mentally ill teenager runs through the streets screaming it's the end of the world, you should kill your children to stop the climate from changing. And if the government tells you to put on a mask and stay home from church and hold a race riot instead while leaving your children sitting in front of a computer screen so their pervert teacher can tell them to change their gender because gender is a magical ghostly presence, it can be wished into sparkly colors until a man can get pregnant and then have an abortion into the ninth month because the baby's not a human being until it passes through the magic vagina place and the mother doesn't even have a vagina because he's a man. Then you should go immediately outside and pray to a gigantic windmill so it will supply enough electricity to power the entire country without any fossil fuels. Because in this house, we believe that science is real, like Tinkerbell or Moloch. In this house, we believe that black lives matter. So if a black gangster should drive by in his stolen Hyundai Sonata and spray a black neighborhood with bullets wiping out a five-year-old child, a postman, and a single mother working two jobs to support her family, and if that gangster then tries to outrace a police car so that his stolen Sonata drives over a kid on a tricycle before careening through a living room picture window and killing a family of five in a flaming explosion, and if the police officer then trades fire with the gangster and shoots him dead to protect the rest of the neighborhood, then that officer should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Because in this house, we believe Black Lives Matter. In this house, we believe that women's rights are human rights. Because any human can be a woman if he puts on a dress and a string of pearls. And no woman should have the right to say he's not a woman or that he can't come into her locker room and watch her undress just because he's a woman who happens to have an erection. And no woman should have the right to stop that erect woman from stealing her athletic achievements just because he's a woman who's a man. So no woman should have the right to complain or achieve or speak or live in peace because in this house, we believe women's rights are human rights and any human can be a woman, so women have no rights. In this house, we believe in progress. In the bad old days, people were slaves to convention. They had to wear suits and ties and listen to boring music like Bach and Mozart and use words that expressed assigned meanings and only have sex if they were married. But now there's progress, so we can go naked with our bodies covered in tattoos and with metal spikes stuck in our noses and our eyebrows while we grunt wordlessly to the sound of deafening foul-mouthed hip-hop and have sex with anything that feels good until it squirms out of our grasp and escapes back into the forest. Because in this house, we believe Uga Booga Naganuna Nanazugaga Wagabulia, which means in this house, we believe kindness is everything. And if you disagree, we'll kill you. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, we are back laughing our way through the destruction of everything we hold dear. And here we have, look at this. This is the galley for the new Cameron Winter book out at the end of October, The House of Love and Death. I am not going to push this thing on you all summer long because, you know, I hate to promote myself, which is why I can't sell 
<laughs> to get this on the Times list. But go ahead and pre-order it. It's available for pre-order. This is not a hobby of mine. This is what I do. I will compare this series to any series, any series you read that you think is good. I guarantee you this is at least as good, probably better. So please go out and pre-order it. We're going to try and put it on the Times list this time. Last time we put it on the USA Today list. If we put it over the top and get it on the Times list, this thing will go on forever. I'm already working on the fourth book. This is The House in Love and of Love and Death. Go on Amazon and get it before October 31st when it comes out. I'm going to put it there so you can just stare at it and look how wonderful. It's a good cover. They do a good job. Um, also, subscribe to YouTube, my personal Andrew Claven YouTube channel. You will get exclusive content thrown through your window tied to a baby. And uh, if you... <laughs> <laughs> if you leave, leave a comment, uh, write the comment on the baby, throw the baby back out to us. And if the comment is offensive, which it will be because you tied it to a baby, we will read it on the show. Today's comment is from King Chi, WZ7. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Uh, Andrew, this is talking about the Titan um, the Titan sub submersible. Uh, Andrew, it's fine to have a spirit of discovery, but if you can send a camera down to the wreckage to see it, which is 100% safe versus sending yourself down there to see it, which is super risky, the decision is a no-brainer. Yes, these people have no brains. I disagree with that so much. I don't even look, th I'd like to look through glasses. I want to see things myself. I think we should all want to see things ourselves and know. I don't think it's the same thing sending a camera down there. It's like looking at a picture. I know it's very risky. They took the risk. They paid the price. But that doesn't mean we should laugh at them or not identify with them or, and encourage people to follow the adventure that is in their heart. All right, let's get going with today's episode. They're coming for your children. They're coming for you. Look. There comes one of them now. <laughs> yeah, they certainly are. We're going to talk about the real meaning of this Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action, uh, the move to steal children from their parents and mess with their minds. I'm going to talk about a new Jim Caviezel film I saw called The Sound of Freedom, which explains a little bit of what God is going to do to people when they mess with our kids. Chapter one, negative affirmative. Latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Now, you didn't know uh, John Roberts could sing like that, but that was great. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes is about the epic poem Paradise Lost. He said, the first qualification for judging any piece of workmanship from a corkscrew to a cathedral is to know what it is, what it was intended to do, and how it's meant to be used. And that's good Aristotle thinking. A lot of C.S. Lewis is, is warmed over Aristotle. you got to know the telos of a thing before you know if it's working or if it's any good or not. That's true of everything in politics, Supreme Court decisions, and all kinds of policies. It's also true of this show. I think about the purpose of this show a lot, the purpose has always been to find and share insight about the culture for a very specific reason. We all know that Andrew Breitbart is always quoted as saying politics is downstream from culture, meaning the culture shapes politics. Michael Knowles, obviously Andrew Breitbart was the late great Andrew uh, Breitbart, and Michael Knowles was sometimes late. He sometimes arrives late, uh, but uh, there's no other comparison. But Knowles is, really says that sometimes culture is downstream from politics. On this show, we have a different philosophy, which is basically that politics and culture are a seamless garment. They are one thing, and they are a thing with a purpose. That is to form the populace, to form the nature of the populace. James Joyce said that culture forges the uncreated conscience of the race. And all of us are made by our culture. We're all created by the culture that we're in. And the more you know how to see that, and the more you understand how to react to that, 
the more you have control of who you are going to become. So, for instance, the reason I sometimes say things that are not altogether political is that if you are so dedicated to a political candidate, say, that you sell your principles or so dedicated to a political principle that you walk around angry all the time, if you live in hatred, if you live in lies, if you're willing to do anything, sell out anything to win your side— You've lost already because you have become, you have let people form you into a tool that they are going to use. Because if you're angry, if you're corrupt, you're just going to be used by people who use angry, corrupt people. And that's what politicians want to do to you all the time. They want to turn you into something that is good for them. And so on this show, what we talk about is the culture and how it's working and how to lift yourself out of the culture because... I believe, this is my show, and I believe that you were made for something different. I believe that you were made to grow into the majesty of the soul God created for you, which you haven't done yet, and I haven't done yet, and all of us are in the process of trying to do. And you don't do that with hate. You don't do it with corruption. You do it in other ways. When you watch what people are doing you can in politics, you can almost always trace it back to something that is meant to shape your soul and to turn you into a tool that they can use to accomplish their goals, their visions. And this is right and left, but the left is a little worse because a lot, some people on the right believe in freedom and to shape you into somebody who can be free. They want to shape you into somebody who takes responsibility for himself, who believes in freedom, who wants the government to be restrained, who doesn't want the government to always help him out, who's willing to fall on his face when he takes a risk. Those are the things that make you ready to be free. Good behavior, family, those are the things that make you ready to be free. And you have to be shaped by that, by the culture that you're in. If you notice What they do all the time on the left is they try to solve a problem at the end of the road because they do not want to admit what they did to get there. And what they did to get there was try and shape your personality and your principles and your morals and your vision and your uncreated conscience in a way that they shouldn't. So great decision from the Supreme Court overturning, essentially overturning, affirmative action needed to go away. Very important thing. Good, some, today, a lot of good decisions are coming down from the Supreme Court. They ruled in favor of the Colorado uh, invitation lady. They said she didn't have to make invitations for gay weddings because, she, because of the First Amendment. So that's very important. With the cake baker, they kind of hedged and said, well, he had free exercise clause, you know, rights to his religion. But they're saying, no, she doesn't have to be, can't be forced to say what the state wants her to say by the First Amendment. So that's an important decision. Also, apparently, this just came in, so I haven't really seen this, but apparently they overturned the loan forgiveness saying Congress has to do that, which is quite, quite right. Good stuff. But the really important one is overturning affirmative action and saying you cannot make decisions and who gets into your school according to race. Now, this is important to me personally because this is the moment, if I had to choose the moment when the ship of my life turned from being a leftist to being, which is how I was raised and how I grew up and how my soul was shaped in my family, turning toward being a conservative and a person who believed in the Constitution and freedom first, it was that moment when I said, oh, they're going to, they're going to be racist about how they let people into schools, I thought, well, then they're out of ideas because that's just wrong. And the thing is, racism is wrong. I know it's wrong because we're all made in the image of God. I don't know why the left says it's wrong, but I don't know why they think it's wrong. And if you are going to stop being racist, you just have to say, we're not doing that. It's not that you're not going to have feelings. It's not that you're not going to have tribal uh, instincts. It's not that you may believe other races are bad. It doesn't matter. You just don't do it. You don't treat people that way. You might believe that you would have a great time sleeping with someone who's not your wife. You just don't do it because it's not the right thing to do. So you treat people all equally and you go by their merits and by the, you, and, and the, the court said, you know, you can look at 
a guy's experience and count that. So, But you can't use that to get around the fact that you're not allowed to choose them just on race. Now, affirmative action has been a failure. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a whole book about this and been a lot of studies saying that if you let people into colleges where they don't belong, they opt out of hard, harder subjects. They don't go into the sciences, which they might have wanted to go to. They rank lowest in their classes. This has all happened uh, to black people. Clarence Thomas, who wrote a great a concurrence in this decision. He put a 15 cent price tag on his Yale degree because he said he couldn't get a job because everybody knew or thought that he had gotten it through affirmative action when in fact, yes, he probably did get it through affirmative action, but he also deserved it, which is different. Uh, if, if you listen to the, 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 the writings of the judge, justices in this case, it's so obvious that some of them, the ones who got rid of affirmative action or talking logically. John Roberts, who wrote the majority decision, said the entire point of the Equal Protection Clause is that treating someone differently because of their skin color is not like treating them differently because they're from a city or from a suburb or because they play the violin poorly or well, that it's something we don't allow. We are supposed to be a colorblind culture, which doesn't, again, doesn't mean you don't see people, doesn't mean you don't have opinions. It means you treat people equally. That's the best that anyone can do. Katanji Brown-Jackson said, she wrote in her dissent, Gulf-sized race-based gaps exist with respect to the health, wealth, and well-being of American citizens. They were created in the distant past, but have indisputably been passed down to the present day through the generations. Every moment these gaps persist is a moment in which this great country falls short of one of its foundational principles, the self-evident truth that all of us are created equal. All of that is untrue. All of that sounds good, but it's just not really the case. We don't know that this the gaps were created in the distant past. In fact, it seems to me they were created in the 60s and 70s through the Great Society Program that addicted people, that shaped people's personalities and their consciences to dependence on the government and to special treatment. And it did a bad thing. It hasn't, the war on poverty has failed. This has failed. It's time to let it go. The way to stop discriminating is to stop discriminating. So it's just important to see, see when they're defending something that is palpably wrong, like abortion. Why are they doing it? They're doing it because they want to maintain the sexual revolution, which destroyed the bonds between sex and marriage, between sex and commitment, between sex and the creation of children. All those bonds that are built in to the putting of nature and to the putting of the human personality, they had destroyed those. They said, well, now you have a pill. You won't get pregnant. But in fact, people kept getting pregnant more out of wedlock pregnancies than ever before with the pill than before the pill because of human nature and because of human lust and all those things. So how do you get rid of it? Kill the baby. Kill the baby. When you're trying to solve the problem at the far end, you start to do evil because the evil exists way at the back end. It is all about forming your personality, forming the conscience of a race. And that is why po politics and culture are a seamless garment. They both are trying to form the conscience of your race. If you go to church, that is a place where they're trying, it's culture. Culture comes from cult. In, in your church, they are trying to form you into what God wants you to be. Every place you go where there's a, an institution, a government, art, artists, all of these things, they're trying to shape you. And you have to be able to see what they're doing in order to say, yeah, not that, yes, this. So when they start to say, well, it's abortion and abortion this, and it's, uh, what if a child is raped by, and then they say, that's not what they're talking about. What they're talking about is abortion into the ninth month, so they don't have to get rid of the sexual revolution that destroyed the lives of women, that made women obsolete, that made marriage obsolete. They don't want to get rid of that, so they want you to abort the evil product of that revolution. The same thing was true with the form affirmative action. They don't want to get rid of what is palpable racism. It is the idea that 
black people cannot achieve without special favors. And they blame it on this kind of vague, systematic racism. It ain't racism. Why aren't they saying, let's solve this problem where it begins, in the schools? Well, it's because they're bought and paid for by the teachers unions, which are corrupt and don't do a good job. That's why they don't want to go back to the beginning and say, yeah, of course we can teach black kids what we teach white kids. And then they'll be able to get into Harvard and Yale on their own merits. And they're racist and they don't believe that's true either. This is all about shaping the character of a people. The Supreme Court did the absolute right thing. It's not about affirmative action. It is about the reason they have affirmative action, which is to maintain the culture-forming great society programs that addicted black people and other poor people as well to dependence on the government, which gives the government power and, and money that they're allowed to take from you to give to others, and on the school system, which they want you enslaved to so they can pump information that they want into your head instead of teaching you how to read and write, which you could do better somewhere else. It is to protect their interests that they created that bad system and to shape your culture and to shape your conscience into dependency. And now they want to maintain it by fixing it through affirmative action. You want to go back to the beginning and change the thing that they are trying to do in the first place. And this brings me to the next part of why they are after your children. July 4th. It's not July 4th unless you have a barbecue. And if you have a barbecue, you want great meat. And thanks to my friends at Moink at every barbecue or gathering, you can indulge in flavor-packed perfection to ignite your taste buds with every bite. Moink, that stands for moo and oink, delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink even lets you choose the meat delivered in every box, select an existing box, or create your own. Set your delivery cadence and enjoy delicious meat. You can cancel anytime. You're not going to want to. It's really good. I just received my own Moink box. Mine was the standard box. It comes with a little bit of everything. Chicken, ribeye, burgers, and steak. You need to try Moink. Their bacon is some of the best I've ever had. Moink is helping save rural America you're going to love it. I, I, it's really good. I'm not kidding. Join the Moink movement today. Whether you prefer your meat rare, medium rare, well done, Moink's cuts are guaranteed to be a juicy delight, providing a burst of flavor that will leave you craving more. Make this summer the most delicious one yet. Right now, my listeners will get free ground beef for a year. That's one year of the best ground beef you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. That's moinkbox.com slash Clavin, spelled M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash, how do you spell Clavin? K-L-A-V-A-N. Chapter 2, Happy Pride Month, Pervert Scum. These are children, you sick sons of bitches. <laughs> yes, they are. I don't know if you saw that. You know, this, get, this really gets me, just to set this up for a minute. You know, we're talking about how culture and how political culture and how it's all one thing to form the conscience of the race that shape you all the time. And you have to be shaped in different ways. You have to be able to shape yourself and turn to institutions that shape you in a good way to avoid being caught up in this meat grinder that is there to destroy your soul so they can use you as a tool. That's what it's for. And now they want to start with the children because they know they've got to get to them early to corrupt them out of all, you know, when they're now talking about stuff that's just openly unnatural and, and evil. They've got to go right to the kids. What gets me about this, though, is all this stuff is coming out about the incredible corruption of Hunter Biden and the incredible corruption of Merrick Garland and the DOJ in preventing the IRS, which tried to do a good job, but they prevented them from asking about Joe Biden, from investigating Joe Biden. They prevented them from getting 
felony charges against Hunter Biden. It's an obvious, obvious problem. They, you know, when you think about the fact that they impeached Donald Trump for falling victim to Hillary Clinton's dirty tricks, they, they can impeach certainly Merrick Garland for what he's done, but they can, as far as I'm concerned, they can also impeach Joe Biden for even being sus- suspect of the things that he obviously has done. But I just want to point to one reaction to this. When this is coming out, everybody now knows Biden has lied. He said, I never talked to Hunter Biden about his business. I mean, Hunter Biden was on planes to Ukraine and China, but we, we never talked. We didn't even sit together. He was, he was, he was in coach. I was in first class. Here's how Anna Navarro, I think this was on The View, here's how she reacted to this. The Hunter Biden story, the scandal, the this, the that, it's also the story of a father's love. And Joe Biden has never and will never give up on his son, son Hunter, and will never treat him lesser than. And so he is a father first. Take it or leave it. That's who he is. That is part of his heart. There was 380 people at this, at this dinner. It's not like Hunter was sitting at Merrick Garland's lap. It was a bunch of, of, of people. And, and I think part of the reason that Hunter Biden has been able to get out of addiction is because Joe Biden embraced him entirely, the entire time. Yeah. When he was vice president, when he was candidate, when he was out of office, and now as president. And I- really shame on her. Shame on her. Because first of all, I, that does not, the guy broke the law. Everybody has a mom. Everybody has a dad. Believe me, I've covered stories. I've had mothers call me up to say, don't write about my poor child who murdered somebody because I love him. He's a good boy. You know, no, that's not the way it works. Unfortunately, it's sad, but that's not the way it works. But secondly, when people come into your school and they teach your children racism and they teach your children perversion and they show them pornography and mothers complain, suddenly these mothers are being hunted down by the FBI, the same FBI that stopped the IRS from getting Hunter Biden. So it's so, so corrupt. I don't know if you saw this pride march in New York City. This is cut six. Play this. And if you're not watching, we blur it out, but there are people uh, naked. There are men completely naked on bikes riding right by children. They're coming for your children. They're serious. They're telling, you know, the left likes to say when someone tells you who they are, believe them. But now NBC News ran an article saying, well, the conservative pundits, activists and lawmakers, the video that you just saw confirmed the allegations they've levied in recent years that the LGBTQ community is, quote, grooming, unquote, children. But to Brian Griffin, the original organizer of the NYC drag march, if that's the worst they heard, it's only because he wasn't there this year. Griffin said he chanted obscene things in the past like kill, 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 we're coming to kill the mayor, and joked about pubic hair and sex toys during marches. People at the drag march regularly sing God is a lesbian. It's all just words, Griffin said. It's all presented to fulfill their worst stereotypes of us. Well, they have. Congratulations. So, you know, this is, it's just not true, though. They're telling you who they are. You should believe them. Xavier Becerra, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, was in Aspen, and he says that the administration is trying its best, so far the courts have stopped them, it's trying its best to withhold Medicaid and Medicare payments from any state that will not do what they call gender-affirming care, which is butchering people to turn them from one sex to another, including minors. Here's Becerra. Well, we, um, we have issued some guidelines that say that uh, a provider who receives Medicare funding, Medicaid funding, must be prepared to offer gender-affirming care. We unfortunately ran into a couple of circuit courts 
that said differently. And so we are now in the process of having to uh, work under those rulings. Uh, but we're not going to stop everywhere where we have an opportunity at the federal level. And again, I go back to yesterday's conversation where we don't control health care. We don't control how gender affirming care is provided or if it is provided. But where we have laws that require you to fulfill your obligations, if you want that Medicaid dollar to come to your state, we're going to make sure you check the box. <laughs> so they're going to go to the end result of their policies to stop people from butchering It's just, I mean, it's appalling to me that anyone thinks this is a reasonable thing to do, but it's appalling to me that people think that aborting a child at nine months is a reasonable thing to do. All of it is because their personalities have been shaped by their culture. All of us are shaped by our culture, and the left has created a corrupt culture to corrupt our personalities. They have formed consciences that are corrupt, that are willing to accept the evil of, of butchering people. And when you, you know how it is when you're in a culture. I talk about George Washington, who was a, an absolute martyr to liberty, holding slaves. The culture shaped him. It took him his whole life to figure out, oh, wait, 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 no, this is, this is not in keeping with what I believe. This is not who I am. It took him his whole life to figure that out. And he was a great man. Most of us just go along with the culture that they're in. Think about this for a minute, okay? And this is not an opinion. This is an absolute fact. The idea that there is such a thing as gender detached from your sex, and I get this all the time, by the way. People write to me, you know, you keep using gender and sex interchangeably, and I keep saying because they're interchangeable, they're the same word. The the idea that there is some magical, ghostly, Casper the Ghost thing called gender that is different from your sex has no basis in science whatsoever. They may find it one day. They may find something in your brain that makes you more womanly than something else. But still, but still, the idea that you have, that you are a man, but you have feminine traits and therefore you're a woman, think about the logic of that. There can be no science to that because why are they feminine traits? They're feminine traits because they appear often in women, not all women, but many women. There's things that we have seen in women repeatedly over thousands of years. Why are they there? They're there because evolution is a real thing in, in at least within a species. And we know that there are two people, Two kinds of people, there are only two kinds of human beings on earth, men and women. One of them is built to create the human race and nurture it into full childhood. You're going to get traits from that. You're going to get things in your brain. Your brain is going to be shaped. The person who does that best is the one whose children are going to survive and pass on their genes. That's how evolution works. That's what science is. You pass on your genes by having offspring. You have offspring. If you get pregnant, you give, you, your offspring live if you take care of them, if you feed them, if you nurture them, if you treat them kindly, if you teach them the things that they need to know. And that's how the traits get passed down. The idea that those traits now float around so that if somebody, if a man happens to be nurturing, if a man happens to be more prone to mercy than to judgment, if a man happens to be, uh, you know, concerned about his looks, suddenly he becomes a woman because there is this magic thing called gender. But no, no, gender, those traits, those gender traits attached to the sex are only called feminine because we have seen them often attached to women. When they're attached to men, they're no longer feminine. They're effeminate. That's what they are. They're effeminate men. They're macho-type women. But that doesn't change their sex. It makes absolutely no sense. So the following the science thing is completely wrong. The only thing I, you know, I always hate it when people compare 
illogical stuff to religion, because my religion isn't illogical at all. My religion not only makes sense, it makes sense of everything else around me. I can explain why racism is bad. I can explain why the things we know are bad are bad. I understand where my the shape of my conscience comes from and why, and I can defend those things. And, you know, but, but there are things in my religion that are hard to believe. You know, resurrection is hard to believe. Uh, forces that move without being seen, are hard to believe. If you say to me, you made those things up, those things exist in your imagination, it's my job to say, okay, well, you know, you don't have to believe them. You don't have to believe them. They explain things to me. If you have a better explanation, I'll take it. But this is why. So why I think I can explain it. But this is religion. It's exactly like that. What they are saying is there's this thing called gender. We invented it. There can be no science showing that it's real. There really can't be any science showing that it's real for the reason I just said. The only reason we call them feminine traits is because they appear in many women. So if they appear in a man, they don't suddenly, they're no longer feminine traits. They're then a feminine trait. It's just playing with words. But they believe it so strongly that basically, like the Christians of old, they are willing to burn you at the stake if you refuse. This is bad religion. This is not science. This is bad religion. And if you don't believe me, I got to show you my favorite video of the week is from Edina Community Lutheran Church in Minnesota. Priestess, I'll call her that because, you know, of course, women can't be priests. Priestess Anna Helgen is reciting, I'm not making this up, every week in church we recite the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. She's reciting the Sparkle Creed. Cut eight. Let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God, whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads, and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit, who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I love the fabulous tunic. You know, yes, yes, you're dying for all mankind. Yes, you've given up your Godhead and your power to suffer and death on the cross. But your tunic is fabulous. <laughs> it's fabulous. Look, this is all about shaping a new generation to accept the atrocities that grow out of the ideas that have failed. Abortion, racism, taking God and turning him into something he's not. All of these things are meant are they to fix the end result of the culture that has shaped these people's consciences in a distorted and ugly way. And of course, if you're going to keep it up, you've got to stop people from pointing out that every single thing you say is a wicked lie. Our friends over at GenuCell sold out of their dark spot corrector, and our listeners have been begging for a restock. Great news, just in time for the summer. It's back in stock. GenuCell's famous dark spot corrector has not one, but three cutting edge ingredients and goes to work fast to target sunspots, dark spots, liver spots, and even old discoloration, both on your face and hands. You can now enjoy your summer sun, beach, and barbecues without embarrassing spots. GenuCell's most popular package also features their summer essentials, like the best-selling Ultra Retinal Moisturizer with a powerful retinal alternative for safe use in the sun. You'll be amazed at how quickly you'll see results at 100% or your money back guaranteed. 
A lot of the women here are using it. They love it. They say they wouldn't want to be without it. Go to GenuCell.com slash Clavin right now to get your dark spot corrector in the GenuCell most popular package. That's GenuCell.com slash Clavin right now and save over 70% off GenuCell's most popular package. All orders will include a mystery luxury gift while supplies last. GenuCell.com slash Clavin. You're thinking, this sounds great. How? Oh, how? Please tell me how do I spell Clavin. There are no E's in Clavin. I just make it look easy. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. Which brings us to chapter three. Shut up. Stop talking! Stop talking! Stop talking! <laughs> Rigby, love him. When you are lying, you really have to shut people up. And it, it really is interesting how often, you know, I, I've often said that one of the problems, one of the problems in the history of Christianity is that when Christianity acquired power, it fell into all the same traps that anybody, everybody falls into when they acquire power. There are people who just can't, almost everybody gets corrupted by power. And the more power, the more corrupt, the absolute power corrupts absolutely. But there's some people who even give them a little like name tag and they become officious and overbearing. Power is a problem. And now as government has become more and more powerful, it has, as it has forgotten the culture that shaped us into free men and women, that 1776 uh, culture that shaped us into free men and women. This is why This is why they want to talk to us about 1619. They want to say, no, we're a culture of slaves. So we have to just all be, you know, uh, beholden and enslaved to the people who are going to fix that culture. Instead of, no, you're a culture of free men. You're going to, free men and women, you're going to do things that, work and that fail and you are going to get the rewards and you're going to have to pay the price. In order to do that, you have to shut out the voices that speak directly to the heart because there is something in the human heart that understands that abortion, that killing babies is wrong. There is something in the human heart that knows when its conscience is spoken to that this is a right way for culture to go and not a wrong way for culture to go. So they have to silence all of these people. Obersturmfuhrer and governor of Michigan, Gretchen von Wittmer, is likely going to sign a new law passed by, passed by Michigan's Democratic House that enables attorneys to shut down hate speech. The new House Bill 4474 determines that feeling threatened is reasonable grounds to prosecute offenders, and the punishment for making someone, quote-unquote, feel threatened in Michigan is five years in jail and a $10,000 fine. So if you say, you know... I, I don't like the cut of your jib. I disagree with you. And I said, well, that, that makes me feel threatened. You can go to jail. You can spend five years in jail. An alternate sentence proposes community service in order to enhance the offender's understanding of the impact of the offense upon the victim and wider community. It's re-education. These guys, these guys are, really, are really going all the way. And why are they doing that? Because the stuff they say is wrong. And so if you can say, I'm sorry, that's wrong, if... As the Supreme Court has now determined, you have a right not to be forced to say things just because the state thinks they're worthy. If you have that right, as the Supreme Court decided this morning, then suddenly they have to make an argument. And if they have to make an argument, they're going to lose. You know, just to show you how dedicated they are to this, because some of this stuff, it's all over the place. And the fact... I don't know. To me, it's not that I'm shocked by it, but I still kind of stand and stare like you stare at a car accident. You're not shocked by a car accident, but you can't look away. I, I sometimes stand and stare and think, how can you be like this? How can you look in the mirror and know this is the way you are? Kirk Cameron, the actor, 
Christian, strong Christian guy. He is working with something called Brave Books. He's promoting gatherings in libraries to read Christian books to counter drag queen story hours. Now, libraries are public places, and so they have to let people in. So Deborah Caldwell Stone, a director at the American Library Association, which is a tax-supported organization, she held a Zoom call with libraries saying, you know, it's too bad. We kind of have to let Kirk Cameron read his Christian books. And people, by the way, are really responding to this. They're showing up in droves to hear these Christian books. And this is a portion of that Zoom call. Deborah Caldwell Stone, director at the American Library Association, Cut 11. You're a public agency. Uh, and you're absolutely, unfortunately, it's a little bit of Caesar's coin there. You're committed to non-discrimination in the provision of services. So if someone wants, you know, who's eligible to use the room, books the room and has a Kirk Cameron story hour, you know, they're entitled to do that. The law protects their ability to do that. She says it's unfortunate. Unfortunate we have to be non-discriminating, but we've taken Caesar's coin, so now we have to do what Caesar says. Unbelievable. Then she goes on to say some of the things you can do to keep control of your library and its meeting rooms for the use of your library uh, you can limit access to meeting rooms to persons eligible to hold a library card in your community. You could see Kirk Cameron may not have a library card. You could you could make a priority for library sponsored programs. And what if your library decided just happened to decide to have a whole host of programs on the day when Kirk Cameron is going to arrive? So she comes up with all these ways to get around the law, to get around the non-discriminating law. And all of this stuff, obviously, is to separate children from their parents and as, it's, as I keep saying over and over again, this ultimate target is not men, it's women. It is not men, it's women. You know, there's a, a provocateur out there. Her, what is her name? Her name is Pearl, H. Pearl Davis. And people get angry at her because she's in your face. She's like a kind of, she's like a kind of cute uh, Ann Coulter uh, type. You know, she's trying to make people angry and she does. But she went out and she gave a, put out a video about how women are completely unnecessary except for Except for procreation, women are completely unnecessary to society. So here's just a little bit of that. Men make society run and women don't. Our jobs, we could, all the women could stop working tomorrow. So what do I mean by that? What, if we have a, a society, right? So we got a guy here. What, what do we, you know, maybe I'll make it orange so it's a little darker. Another guy here. All right, we got this couple, man, woman, right? What does society, like, what do we need for society to work? We need a house. Um, we might need the internet, right? I mean, we don't, we don't need it, but... We, we all, you know, we need a car, hypothetically, if you live in like a... I know, I can't draw, I can't draw, so just, you know, bear with me. Um, we need electricity, we need plumbing. And what percent of women do these jobs? So it's roughly 90 plus percent of men are building the houses, they're building the cars, they're doing the electricity, they're doing the plumbing. Um, I can't really think of one job where women dominate and that we need. <laughs> Sorry, so she's getting in your face. She's making people angry. Women get angry at this. The reason women get angry at this, and there's at least some legitimate reason for their anger, is that they're saying, well, I can do the job of being a doctor. I can do the job of being a plumber. I can do this job and that job. All true. There are women who can do those jobs. But the fact is, if all of them stopped doing those jobs, the quality of work in those jobs would not go down and the availability of work in those jobs would not go down. If there's only one thing that women do that is absolutely essential, which is, I, I would not just say procreating, I would say 
creating life, but also nurturing life and creating people, which you do by raising them and by being around them and educating them and shaping the uncreated conscience of their uh, their minds, and 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 building homes. I mean, I the the idea that the, a home, which is I mean, if you think of our national pastime, you know, baseball, it's all about coming home. If you think about what people are looking for when they go out into the wilderness, when they settle a continent, it's home. When you think about what people are looking for when they get in a boat and leave everything they know and love and sail across the ocean to establish a new land, they're looking for a home. Home is everything. Home is where people start from. It's where they're based in. It's where they are shaped. It is the culture in which they're shaped. This is the target. The home is the target because the home is where the people grow. It is, that's the garden where the people grow. And if you want to get those people and shape them into what you want, you have to get to the home. Now, you know, I disagree with people who say that all of the, what the left is doing is against nature. I think nature is malleable. I think we do a lot of things against nature. What I think is that it's good. I think that there is something in creation because it is creation. It's not an accident. It just didn't see. See, that's what they believe. They believe it just happened to happen. You know, it's the, the their idea of evolution is things just kind of happen. So why shouldn't they happen a different way? And our idea, my idea, is that no, things were created. They have gone awry somehow. Maybe people are not are sinful. There are uh, bent, but. But still, still, at the base of this thing, there is a way to find creation and make it work. And that's the Enlightenment idea that built this country. The idea is that if we make, if we build systems that use human nature, we can thrive. And those systems have worked. Capitalism worked. You know, today, this week, Biden was talking about Bidenomics. He said, we got to get rid of Reaganomics. Reaganomics worked in spite of the fact that Obama lied about it, Biden is lying about it. It worked for 25 years. The only part of it that didn't work was that Biden didn't cut the government so he could afford to do the Reaganomics. All of this is about the home. All of this is about the children. All of this is culture. It is all culture. And it's why you can't let yourself get so wrapped up in politics, that you destroy yourself, that you destroy the conscience that was created by the good society that you grew up in, or that you're looking for, or that you're trying to create yourself. So I'm going to end this. We're going to end this by taking a look at children, because I'm, you know, I'm kind of libertarian about what people do in their homes. I'm not looking for the government to have the power to stop you from being who you are or doing the things you do if you're not hurting anybody. But that doesn't mean it's not wrong to teach the children. So why can it be okay for you to do something in your home, in, you know, in your personal life, but wrong for you to teach it to children? That's what I'll be talking about next. All right, final chapter, suffer the children. About a week ago, I went to a premiere that was held in D.C. of a new film called Sound of Freedom, which comes out July 4th. Happy July 4th to everybody. And they're bringing it out at the difficult, it's a difficult time to release a film. It's a small budget film, but it's got Jim Caviezel in it. Jim Caviezel plays Tim Ballard, who is a real guy. He was at the premiere. He's a former agent from Homeland Security who was busting pedophiles, but wanted to free the children who are being traded as sex slaves. I mean, there's a lot of slavery in this world right now, probably more than there was when it was legal. But there's also this horrible, horrible trading of children for use as sex uh, slaves. And this guy, Tim Ballard, has basically become an independent operator. He left Homeland Security, became an independent operator. And Jim Caviezel plays him in this film, uh, the story of how he starts to free children from sexual slavery. Here's a bit of the trailer. 
It is the fastest growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. It has already passed the illegal arms trade, and soon it's going to pass the drug trade. Because you can sell a bag of cocaine one time with a child five to ten times a day. God's children are not for sale. How long have you been doing this? Twelve years now. How many pedophiles you got? 288. How many kids you found? So one of my favorite moments at this premiere is all the people, Jim and uh, Tim Ballard, were talking. And Ballard said that one of his favorite parts of the film was when Caviezel playing him quotes Matthew 18. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of of the sea, and Ballard quoted this with a bit of sadistic relish, saying, "It's the oh, he's a Christian, he says, it's the only time when Jesus sounds like one of the Sopranos, he sounds like a mob boss. You know, when we put Louis to pedophile in the cement and drop them in the river, this is going to be worse. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what he likes about this. And I got to tell you, I, I'm a kind of hard character about certain things. I know there's evil in the world. When I watched this movie and I saw the gangsters, and I, and I recommend it. It's a strong film, and Caviezel's great, and it's got some really exciting stuff, and they don't, they don't rub your face in the horrific part of it. They, you know what that is, and so they don't have to show it to you. Uh, it's a good movie. But I, I was watching this, and that there are evil gangsters, I know. That doesn't baffle me. That there are people who are carried away by their desires to do horrible, horrible things, even though they know they're wrong. Obviously, that bothers me, but I get it. I, I know that people do that. What I found myself baffled by are the people who have convinced themselves that this is right, and they, des- they have let their desires shape them. And obviously, this use of children is something that is seeping into our society. When these guys go out and they say, we're coming for your children, they absolutely mean it. They are groomers. I, you know, this is something, you know, I've argued with Ben about this, and I, I will continue to argue it. They are grooming children for sexual use. That's what they're doing. So I was sitting there and I was thinking, how come only the, the Christians are here? Just about everybody at this premiere was a Christian. Obviously, Jim Caviezel, big Christian, Ballard, a Christian, everybody there. And we were all talking about Christ and all referring to Christ. And I thought, well, doesn't everybody know that it's wrong to use children? And I thought, no, it actually, it's not true. When you go back to the Bible, teaching the Jews not to kill children as opposed to everybody else around them is one of the things that God is doing most. He does it all the time. I mean, you can begin with Abraham and Isaac. Now, people don't know how old Isaac was. They think he was anywhere between five and 38 when when Abraham took him out because God said, you've got to sacrifice your son. We always picture him as a little child, but he could have been much older. Most scholars say he was probably between 17 and 20, something like that. But still, it's your relationship to your offspring. Are you going to go and sacrifice his offspring? And when God tells Abraham to sacrifice him, he's only telling him what all the gods are telling Abraham. Everybody says, well, Abraham was showing what a great guy he was. Well, maybe he was, but he was just doing, well, my God, just like everybody else, he wants us to sacrifice people. And God said, that's not what I want. That's not what I want. And that, sac- that replacement sacrifice of uh, an animal for the child presages the replacement of God's sacrifice of his son for all our children. And if, you know, you sometimes, when you read the historical part of the Bible, the kings and the history of Judah and, um, and Israel and the various kings, it's almost all... The kings are described as doing what the Lord said 
was good if they got rid of the high places where the other people who were there worshipped their gods. He's, almost every chapter is, after David, is he allowed the high places to stand, so he did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord, or he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he allowed the high places to stand, or he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord because he worshipped at the high places. Well, what were the high places? That was where the people who were there worshipped their gods who required child sacrifice. So it's almost as if the entire history of the Jewish people after they get out of Egypt and they establish their own land is God saying to them, listen, one thing, don't kill the babies. And the Jews are going, you know, they'll go for a generation and they won't do it. And then they'll say, yeah, but it's a constitutional right, right? You know, I mean, they say, no, no. Did I stutter? Don't kill the babies. Stop killing the babies. You know, I, this is totally me speculating, okay? This is not good theology, but it's me speculating. I sometimes look at King David and they say he was a man after God's heart. And King David was kind of this horrible Iron Age warlord. He did terrible things. He murdered people. He, he really was not a great guy. But the one thing he didn't do is he didn't kill the babies. And maybe that's why that's all God was looking for at that point. So they wanted to get rid of these sacrifices, but they would keep coming back. And even Solomon, seduced by his many wives who were foreign wives, would go back and start to follow their, their ways again. And one of the bad kings of Judah named Ahaz, this is like 700 BC or so, he fell back into the, pro the practice. And chronicles say he burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. This is what God was trying to teach the Jews over, the, over history so that their minds and hearts would become ready for the coming of the Messiah. Stop killing the babies. So, he did this at Ben-Hinnom, ben which means the son of, son of Hinnom, and over time, this becomes Gehenna in Aramaic. So this is where Gehenna is the place where children were burned alive to the god Moloch. Now, Jesus talks about Gehenna a lot, and whenever he talks about it, he uses it as a synonym for hell, what Jesus sometimes called the clavenless eternity. I, I may be misreading the Aramaic, but he says Gehenna a lot. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you go round the sea and the dry land to make one proselyte, and whenever it may happen, you may make him a son of Gehenna twofold more than yourselves. Gehenna was hell. Where you kill the babies, that is hell. That is the worst thing that happens. The fire that you set on your children when you kill the children is the fire that you will see again when you get to hell. Now, the flip side of this is Jesus' tenderness toward children as the images of the saves. He calls a little child to him in the crowd, and he says, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And he says, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now, I think about this a lot, because why would you want to be a child? A lot of, there's obviously a million interpretations to this, and I'm not putting mine ahead of anybody else's. I'm just putting it forward because it's mine. But, you know, people say, oh, the children are innocent, and people, or children believe things. They have faith, and uh, children are, are lowly and modest or whatever. But, you know, I, I look at children, they're, they're horrible little creatures. You, you may be able to tell that my voice is almost gone because I got sick because I went and visited my grandchildren. And, you know, they draw you in with their cuteness, but really they're all full of cold germs, and you just get sick immediately. Just, you know, really, they're terrible. And I think when they talk, <laughs> talk about children, 
as being innocent or being faithful or all those things. We're talking about them from the outside, what they look like to us because they're cute. We're not talking about them from the inside. And I think what Jesus is talking about is that you are trying to shape yourself into something childlike inside. And what is that? And I think this is why, you know, a lot of times I have found that the romantic poets speak about these things in a way that is more accessible to me as a modern man. And there's a poem by William Wordsworth called Intimations of Immortality from Recollections of Early Childhood. Very famous poem. Wordsworth, in his childhood, had a deep connection with nature where he would just become one with nature. And it stuck with him all his life as a memory. He regretted losing it. He could feel it go away. And he writes about it going away. And what he says in this poem, I'll read you a little bit of it, but what he says in this poem is that we come from God and as we grow, we lose that connection and then we return to it. He says, our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. We forget where we came from. The soul that rises with us, our life star had had elsewhere its setting. It cometh from afar, not an entire forgetfulness and not an utter nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. So we come born into the world with the imprint of God on us. It's just a poetic way, really, of saying we're made in God's image. But then listen to what he says about growing up. He says, heaven lies about us in our infancy. Shades of the prison house begin to close upon the growing boy, but he beholds the light and whence it flows. He sees it in his joy. The youth who daily farther from the east must travel still is nature's priest, and by the vision splendid is on his way attended. At length, the man perceives it die away and fade into the light of common day. So we, as we grow older, we lose where we came from. We came, it's there. You know, there's a funny story about the poet Shelley drop, looking at a baby and saying, he's so close, I can almost, I can almost feel what he knows. Thomas Traherne, who was a, I've talked about him before. C.S. Lewis loved Thomas Traherne. He was a 17th century poet and cleric. He was kind of a pre-romantic romantic. He talked about the same thing. He talked about his joy in the natural world and the endless pleasure he took in ordinary things until his teachers got to him. And by his teachers, he meant his culture. He says, it was a difficult matter to persuade me that the tinsel on a hobby horse was a fine thing and to teach me that a purse of gold was at any value seemed impossible thing to do. Natural things are glorious, and to know them is glorious, but to call things unnatural natural is monstrous. Yet they all do it, who esteem gold, silver, houses, lands, clothes. He's talking about greed. He's talking about possessiveness, okay? And so what we have is this echo of Jesus telling the rich man, give away all you own. You're too attached to it. Go back to where you were as a child when you saw that the things you were given at birth are the things that you need because who you are is what you need. You don't need Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis to win the next election. You do not need the, you know, the tax rate to come down. What you need is who you were meant to be. What you're trying to get is to a culture, and if you have to build it in your own heart because the, the culture around you is so polluted, then build it in your own heart and don't worry about what the world is telling you. That culture where you receive and return to the majesty of who you were made to be. This is why, I mean, it, it's almost as if Jesus thought something a little different than Ayn Rand, he, that he was saying that there was something in you, this thing. And this is why, this is why we feel that when children become adolescents and they become sexual beings, they lose their innocence. It's not that sexuality is a bad thing. Sexuality is a gift. It's a beautiful thing, but it has a cost and it has its dangers. It's so powerful. Sexuality is so powerful that it comes with its dangers. And its danger is that it makes it impossible to separate beauty from 
desire, and desire becomes covetousness and covetousness, which is lust, right? So when you look at things, the grass, the trees, the sky, the moon, you know, that old song, the best things in life are free, and you just live in the beauty of them, you don't desire them. You can't own them. You just be, they just become part of you. But when you want things, the gold and the toys and the gifts and the girl, then suddenly you become this grasping creature who is no longer the creature that you were made to be. So, you know, people do different things to to arrange their sexuality, they become celibate or they think, well, if I sleep with anything, with everybody, if I sleep with everybody, then I won't have that covetousness. And those two ways of being work in different ways. They don't really work. They never have really worked. And I think the idea is that you try to transform everything into love. You don't have sex without love. You don't desire things except that you do the thing that you love and you hope you make money from that. You become the person that you think is lovable to God and then you hope that that person wins out, but sometimes he doesn't, but you stick to that love. So when you bring a child to sexuality too early, when you start to think that because you feel bad about yourself, you have to teach children your sexuality, you're causing them to stumble. You're causing them to lose that period of time when they develop the memory of who they're supposed to be so they can return to it after the prison house of life closes around them. You need that memory of who you have to be. I go back to in my memories all the time to who I was originally so I don't lose touch with that original person in the hurly-burly of life, in the desire, in the ambition, in the lust, in the greed, all those things. I try to shed them so I go back to who I was and become not a child, but like unto a child again. If you teach a child too quickly to become sexual, you teach him to stumble. Now, that is what they are doing to our children now. That's what the left is doing to our children. And I just want to remind them, just remind them, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them if they had a large millstone hung around their neck and they were drowned in the depths of the sea. Bada bing. And that's why, that's why we should keep them away from our children. With the 4th of July rapidly approaching, we think it's time to declare your independence from woke razor companies because we believe in taking important holidays and trivializing them for our profit. I know what you're thinking. Inflation is higher than Hunter Biden in Vegas. That's why we're making it easier for you to say goodbye to your old razors. Head on over to jeremysrazors.com right now and save 40% on our Founders and Beard Kit. You won't just look good, you'll also feel good knowing that you're supporting a company that doesn't hate you for being a man. Don't wait too long because unlike the effects of gender-affirming hormone therapy, our sale won't last forever. You want your face to look like this. That's because of Jeremy's Razors. So go to jeremysrazors.com today. All right, time for Clavin Clapbacks. Uh, if you want to be in Claven Clapbacks, please send it to send your clapback to Claven Clapbacks. That is K L A V A N. You're supposed to know that by now, but it's K L A P B A C K S. Claven K L A P B A C K S at dailywire.com. It's an email address, so send an email to Claven Clapbacks at dailywire.com. 
comment on the show, disagree, agree. If you disagree, it saves time to just agree because you'll have to agree eventually. But still, if you want to disagree, please do. Seriously, I want to hear what you think and what you're having to say. Uh, from Anonymous, hello, great one. I was hoping to get your opinion on AI artists. I'd love to get your thoughts on if AI art is real art. If you think it will replace the human artist industry, as someone with a great talent for digital art, I'm hesitant to commit my time and maybe life career to something that might be obsolete in a few years. Well, that I totally understand that. Almost everything that I do, I'm still addicted to writing novels, and I still think the novel is a wonderful form, but so much of what I do now didn't exist when I started out. So yeah, things that you start out doing and that you love are going to become obsolete as you go along. But is AI art real art is a very, very profound question, because what does art do? Art conveys the interior human experience. That's what art does. It is a way of transferring my feelings and my experience to you. And great art, what great art does is it captures that in time. So you can see what people did in the Victorian era that was inherent in the Victorian era and what they did in the Victorian era that is part of human nature because human nature doesn't change. Human consciousness changes, but human nature doesn't change. So AI obviously can't do that. AI does not have the human experience, and so it can't communicate the human experience this is what I think it's doing. What I think it's doing is it's gathering all the art that's being created and it's using an algorithm to then essentially unfold the next work of art. So it can look very much like a piece of art. In the same way, if, if AI might know what movie my wife is going to like, and if it picks three movies she's going to like, and I pick three movies and I get one of the movies wrong, I still know my wife. And AI doesn't know my wife. All AI has is an algorithm. It doesn't know my wife. I know my wife. I can be wrong about something where AI is right, but I still know her better because I know. I have a, the capacity to know. So in the same way, it doesn't have the capacity to have the human experience of life. It is simply conglomer uh, agglomerating other pieces of art into the, the next algorithmic thing. That that is going to be beautiful, that that's going to be profound, yes. But what I would say is I don't think artists are going to be obsolete because what I think they will do is they will take what AI does and use it to their own ends. I think the people that's going to make obsolete are the people who created AI because I think it can program just as well as anybody and better. But I think that AI will become a tool for artists. I could be wrong, but... Art is becoming an artist, as I well know, is a tremendous, tremendous risk. From Cameron, I write with great respect for you. I feel you've taught me a lot about how the world works. I especially appreciate the tragic sense you bring to your commentary on current events. I don't know why you bring up the fact that people in the audience write angry letters to you. You bring it up about Trump a lot and about the Bible and homosexuality. It seems like you are in a line of work where angry letters are a regular part of doing business. So my question is, are you trying to communicate something to us by bringing them up? Well, yes, I am. And it's a great, great question, by the way. I always used to be, I was so disappointed when I read an interview with Henry Aaron when he was older, Hank Aaron, the guy who broke Babe Ruth's lifetime baseball record. And he was a big hero of mine when I was a kid. And he was a big hero of everybody's. But he collected the racist, he was black, so he collected the racist hate mail he got and he kept it in a box in his attic. And I thought, why? You were cheered by 50,000 people every time you got up to bat. Why keep the, the hate? So why emphasize the negative? The I try not to. The only time I do it is when I think it represents a way of thinking that I think is unhelpful and impractical, a way of thinking that I think is going to hurt people if they continue. And I try to express why that way of thinking is not going to form you in the way you want to be formed. It feels like it's right because you're angry and you want to get back. and 
totally understand. I'm like that myself at times. We all are. It's not a thing. But I want to show why I, I think the logic of that, the logic of, of living in by your lights and by your principles and by love is going to be better in the in the long run by reacting. Become a member today. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code Claven to check out for two months free on all annual plans. It will keep you from the Clavenless eternity for a few more minutes. What can I say? We're going into member block. The rest of you have a great July 4th. Members, come with me.